So you walk in and, and you just hear this chunk, chunk, yep. chunk noise of this, these big presses just slamming down. Yeah. Well, some of these presses have big motors in them. Yeah. And when these motors fail, a lot of times this customer had zero visibility into that the motor is going to go bad. Okay. So typically what customers like this do is they'll schedule rebuilds. You know, okay. they know that on average, they're going to get, say, two years out of this press before the motor needs to get rebuilt. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Industry 4.0 could mean a lot of things to different people. While the idea of Industry 4.0 is compelling, it requires a lot of moving pieces from identifying appropriate processes for data collection and then having monitoring and alerting infrastructure in place so that the maintenance can take action before it's too late and expensive. Condition monitoring is one area that plays a very important role with processes, especially if you have several manual interventions in the process that is likely to change the overall profile of equipment and machinery, which might result in product quality issues and rework. In today's episode, our guest, Dave Roth, shares his insights into the importance of condition monitoring for your critical equipment, why that is important for Industry 4.0 initiatives. He also analyzes the root cause of several stories where the manual processes resulted in process variations and product quality issues. Finally, he touches on how condition monitoring can help detect the issues earlier and avoid any expensive downstream implications. Let me introduce Dave to you. Quickly approaching two decades of experience in the automation world, for the 11 years, Dave has been a product manager at NAF Automation, a 200 million automation distributor handling sales and marketing efforts of electrical products across NAF's 14 state footprint, Dave has a finance degree from Indiana University, Kelly School of Business, stumbled into automation with Cairns in Texas, then was a regional sales manager at Panasonic Electric before finding his home at NAF. Combined, he is actively sold automation to over half the country. Passionate about Industry 4.0 and helping manufacturers use plant floor data to increase their competitiveness. His key focus includes industrial networking and condition monitoring. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Sam, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I am super excited to have you as well. We have done a ton of episodes in the Industry 4.0 community. Obviously, your perspective is going to be very different. Your insights are going to be so deep for our listeners. Just to kick things off, Dave, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Sure. 
I have been in the automation world now for about two decades. Okay. It's kind of hard to believe. I, I got my start. Um, I'm actually a finance major from Indiana University. Stumbled into the automation world working for a Japanese sensor company, Keyens, down in Texas for a number of years. Yep. And, uh, and then became a regional sales manager for Panasonic in their industrial division. And now I'm a product sales manager at Neff Automation. We are uh, an automation distributor, 100-year-old. We span 14 states. I kind of like to say we're the, we're the OG of automation distribution in the United States. Uh, we touch every aspect of automation equipment. So pneumatic, electrical, electromechanical, robotics, sensing safety. If it's automation, we touch it. My specific area of focus and passion uh, is kind of the, on the electrical side, specifically industry 4.0. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot in the, the condition monitoring and networking arena. We kind of take a different approach, Sam, to Industry 4.0 initiatives. I, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a buzzword, and I find most manufacturers kind of define it based off the products that they're trying to sell. Yep. And being an automation distributor, we kind of have a different approach to it. It's a little bit more unique. We have more tools in our tool belt. Um, and, and having as big of a, a footprint and touch as NEF does, we, we tend to see different Different things apply to different people, and we kind of see what makes sense. So our, you know, we kind of take these things, and we have a, a, a three-bucket approach. Maybe we'll get into later. I guess that's not really the question that you originally asked with my, my own personal brand and story and my passion. But, yeah, well, a lot of what I do is around Industry 4.0. Yeah, that's very cool, and we are definitely going to have a lot of opportunities to get into this. But one of the standard questions that we ask, and, you know, let's cover that. And finally, we will dig into all of that. So the question is going to be your perspective on business growth, Dave. My perspective on business growth. This is, it's interesting. Uh, and I kind of struggle with this one a little bit. We want it. We want a lot of it. It means yep. different things to different people. Uh, yep. With NEF, we're kind of all about, we want to enhance our customers' competitiveness. And that means different things to different people. At the end of the day, we need to figure out what kind of what's important to our customers and be able to adapt to that. Our, for most and a lot of our customers, it's increasing their bottom line and their profitability. And the way we go about doing that is, is usually different for each of our customers. However, we like to deploy industry 4.0 principles to help solve their problems. Okay, amazing perspective there. Absolutely love it. So now I am actually going to go back to our condition monitoring is what you really wanted to discuss, and that's your focus area as well. Now, when you look at our audience, the CFOs and the COOs, obviously, they are looking for the financial opportunities, but they mm -hmm. always have a lot of financial opportunities and their challenge always is, which is going to be the most reliable opportunity that they are trying to evaluate. So I don't know if you are able to provide a little bit of context in terms of number one, what condition monitoring is, where mm -hmm. it is going to be applied. Which manufacturing mm -hmm. processes are we talking about? Which industries are we talking about? Yeah. And, you know, what are different devices that are going to be relevant for condition monitoring? There's a lot there to unpack, Sam. It's all good stuff. So yeah, when we talk about condition monitoring, it's kind of in the, in the name there. We want to monitor the condition of the machine yeah. and kind of get really get to a point in manufacturing where, where we're able to do predictive maintenance okay. and get away from unscheduled downtime. Okay. Um, when things break in the middle of production, it's expensive. Downtime gets costly. You know, yep. Various different industries have different costs on, on what downtime actually costs them. We want to get to a point where we're able to get better visibility into what our assets are doing 
and get data from them and then be able to use that data and make it actionable so that we are able to, to replace components, fix things, modify production prior to breakdowns occurring. That's really what we're talking about with condition monitoring. We want better visibility yep. into our asset and its health. And I'm not talking about just adding extra sensors and having them go to your, your PLC or the, the thing that's running the machine. We're not, we're not trying to shut the machine down, but we do want to get that data. Maybe you send it up to a higher level system and you, you send an email to a maintenance guy that says, hey, sometime over the next week, go check out this motor. It's maybe getting a little warm or that vibration profile is changing a little bit. So it might, you know, it might fail soon. Somebody needs to go look at that. Yeah. And, and really to be able to get to that point where we're, we're truly able to get better visibility down to that level. You know, we have to take, this is kind of that, that three bucket approach I was mentioning. We, yep. there's three, three things we've got to take a good look at. And, and I got a couple of very specific stories we can kind of get into here. But the first is these industry 4.0 initiatives. I see it, we see them fail because people overcomplicate them. We, if we drill it down to the simplest level, you know, we got three buckets we need to look at. Bucket one is what's going to happen on that asset or that machine. That's creating the infrastructure that allows for different smart devices, maybe a vibration sensor or a temperature sensor or, you know, whatever metric we want to get deeper visibility into that that's on the machine. And then two is how do you, when you get that asset getting data, how do you, how do you have that data talk to other, other networks, other, other assets, other systems, yeah. you know, we see, this is such an exciting time to be a manufacturing Sam. We see machines making their own material calls, talking directly to warehouse management systems, logging and trending their own data. You yep. know, it, the, the way systems are connected now, their automation equipment's no longer a standalone island. These yep. are bustling metropolises of activity. And as a result, net, network infrastructure has to be looked at. Yep. Um, and we see cybersecurity fall into this and, and a whole realm of networking jargon, but that's bucket two. And then bucket three is what do you do with it? How do you make yeah. that actionable? How do you take that data and transform it into information so that you can make better decisions about your business? And so when we talk condition monitoring, Sam, we're going to talk a lot about bucket one yeah. because we're talking about hardware and specific things there. However, buckets two and three also need to be evaluated deeply. And you know, you're know, you a ERP guy, so you, you know how your stuff is going to talk to other layers of the automation stack. Yep. So I don't need to tell you that that's important, but that that really that's way more important. So if, if your listeners have one takeaway here, it's not, hey, let's just slap a sensor on a motor and get data. It has to you have to take a holistic approach to these initiatives and they fail because people pay too much attention to one aspect of it. Like maybe they just want this sexy dashboard. But yeah. They're not paying any attention to the, the sensors and what's going on on that on that automation asset to be able to get those signals and put them on that sexy dashboard or. How are you pulling and collecting that data and, you know, IP address conflicts and the security vulnerabilities and networking concerns. So each bucket needs its own consideration. But when we do that, you can do some really cool stuff. And, and the stories I'm going to talk about here that you're going to ask me about are probably more geared towards that first bucket. Yeah. But all three buckets need consideration. Okay, so let's get into the stories because, you know, for the financial audience, uh, you know, if you really think from their perspective, it's going to be yeah. easier to be able to follow along if they really understood mm -hmm. the problem. So obviously, 
they sort of get the picture that we need to do a lot. I don't know where they are in their journey at this point of time. So maybe you can talk about yeah. a couple of stories where each of the businesses are. But let's mm-hmm. say if you talk about some of the sophisticated businesses, they are probably going to have some level of connectivity. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. So does the connectivity not work for them? Are there too many moving pieces in them? And for the smaller ones, they are probably not going to have anything. So where are they overall in terms of journey? So maybe pick a couple of stories and talk about, you know, the state yeah. of condition monitoring for these businesses. We've got a couple of different industries and, and every different customer, even within an industry, is kind of in a different place on their industry 4.0 journey. Yep. Um, so it's, uh, you know, if your listeners are sitting here thinking like, oh man, that's a lot there, like, I like to use the phrase, how do you eat an elephant? It's yeah. it's one bite at a time. I'm not, somebody pointed out how weird that is that somebody would talk about eating an elephant. But <laughs> the point is, these are big things. And yeah. and really, you, you keep it simple and you do one thing at a time and you work your way up to a big comprehensive system. But one of the, one of the projects we just finished wrapping up was food production. Okay. Specifically a plant that processed meat and making hot dogs. Okay. So- one of their current challenges, you know, as an automation distributor, we spend a lot of time with these guys. We're close partners with them. And, and in talking with them, we realized that they, they about a year and a half ago, got rid of their cleaning service okay. that they had in-house. Okay. They had employees that were on that company's payroll that at the end of every shift would go and wash down the equipment. Yeah. Because the last thing you want to have when you eat a hot dog is if it's run on a Monday morning, you don't want the previous Friday's. Yep. hot dog remnants left over there that creates a lot of bacteria it's nasty yep. and nobody wants it so this yep. this equipment all is washed down every night and they have guys that come in with high pressure caustic wash down and there's cleaning solutions and they they spray down these machines up down and sideways at 1500 psi yep. and there's automation equipment out there that's designed to operate and run with that kind of stuff we call that uh an industry term is ip 69k okay so it's uh going to be high pressure caustic washdown and the equipment's designed for it within reason. So back to this customer, this customer ended up having a problem because they went from having this cleaning service in-house, they had some labor shortages. They couldn't get people to to come in and want to do this. Washing down food production equipment at two in the morning isn't an enjoyable profession for most individuals. Yep. yep. Um, So they they ended up using a third-party service and that third-party service they've realized is produce very, very inconsistent results. Okay. <laughs> and as a result, people care a little bit less. And for mm-hmm. this customer, they're sitting there spraying down equipment and maybe holding that high pressure 1500 PSI hose a little bit too close to a, a motor seal or a bearing. And they realize that they're having uh, more inconsistent failures on equipment now as a result of the cleaning. Huh. So one of the things that we suggested was, well, why don't we why don't we slap a, a condition monitoring sensor, specifically okay. a vibration sensor and a temperature sensor on the side of this motor, and then we can see how that profile, that vibration profile, changes between what we know it is good and then what we know is bad. Yeah. Um, so we established a datum point, what a good profile looks like. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when Bubba comes in at two in the morning and thinks he's being really cute by doing a very, very thorough <laughs> job of spraying down this motor, yeah. we can tell right away that when production starts back up, oh man, we, we're going to have a problem here really quick. Let's go ahead. Let's get another one of these things on order. Yeah. And like, let's get that as quick as possible. And then tomorrow morning before we start production again, let's swap this motor out because we think something's going on with it. We get advanced visibility yeah. into what that production asset's doing. And 
And then as a result, we're, we're cutting down downtime substantially. So the pilot program we did for these guys, you know, found that we reduced uh, downtime by about 40% ish. Yeah. yeah. And that for them was huge and enough for them to pull the trigger and do it across the whole plant. So that, that was kind of a cool project. And these guys, they're not doing anything with the data yet. Yeah. They just, they're, they're just storing it and then alarming out on a little local controller. But eventually they want to be able to get this data and incorporate some kind of machine learning. Okay. So if we can have, if we can have a system that just analyzes the vibration profile based on the parts that they're running, and then now yeah. anytime anything changes, it can pick out anomalies. And so there's some big benefits there. They think they can, they can really, really increase their, uh, their overall efficiency and their bottom line as a result. Okay, very interesting story, and I absolutely enjoyed that. And so uh, what I am going to do is I am going to retouch the story so that my listeners are able to follow along. As you know, my listeners are not going to be as technical in the manufacturing and the automation processes, but they are trying to figure out if there is anything for them to be able to capitalize on this. So now mm -hmm. when you were looking at the story, obviously, you know, cleaning was a problem. When you are going to have the manual uh, processes, they are going to have significant variations in the process. The automated process was working fine. They tried to replace that with the manual process, and that was producing inconsistent. Well, they, they were always manual. They always had cleaning crews come in, but the cleaning crews were employees of the plant, of the company. Okay. I was not a, so going to a third-party cleaning crew, they realized the, the results were a lot more inconsistent. And they had to go to a third party because they couldn't find people to consistently show up to work to clean the assets and at two in the morning. So the internal cleaning crews, they couldn't, they couldn't staff full crews. So they ended up going to a third party service as a result. Very interesting. So even after installing the condition monitoring system where you know the vibration profile, uh, is the process still manual or is the cleaning process completely automated? The, the cleaning process is a very manual process. Okay. That's a guy walking, guys walking around with hoses and, and washing down equipment. Okay, so what is happening with the vibration profile? So describe to us a little bit more, the people who yeah. are not going to be as technical, you sure. know, how are you getting the consistency by changing the condition monitoring system? So for this customer, when we say condition monitoring system, they never had one. Okay. Uh, they, had, they had their automated manufacturer, they had their packaging equipment, and, you know, they had the, the fill machines that stuff the hot dog into the casing and you know they have their, their equipment and then at the end of the day it's really important to clean off that that equipment and that's a very manual process there's a guy walking around with a hose and hoses the equipment down and yeah and that's what i'm saying when you go to the third party the the people the third party cleaning crews do not have the level of respect for the equipment that the actual uh dedicated employees do so as a result what we did was we we put this little uh, sensor on there, not much bigger than the size of a quarter. Okay. And we put it on the size of the motor. And then when bubble went in and, and, and would sit there and find the seal on the motor and, and just hold the hose that sprang 1500 PSI and hold it directly onto that seal for too long. And he would get a little bit of water in that motor. We'd see that vibration profile, that motor change a little bit when production started up. So we knew what a good vibration profile would look like when the motor does not have any any water in it or did was uh, not penetrated by the cleaning process. Okay. And then we saw what happened in that small shift when when it, it did happen. 
And as a result, we we're able to say, oh, man, we, we know we, we're going to have a motor go bad here soon. We probably need, need to change this in the next couple of days. So they would be able to get to a point where they could do that preventatively instead of waiting for that motor to fault out. And if it faulted out in the middle of a run, when you've got, you know, say you got a hot dog filling machine, you got a whole bunch, a big hopper full of meat. Yeah. Well, if you can't, if you can't fix that motor really, really quickly, that meat's going to go bad. You got a bunch of scrap. Yeah. You got to, you got to clean all the equipment. You get a bunch of downtime and it, it becomes a very, very expensive problem. So I know that that hot dog example really isn't applicable to, to every different industry. Yep. However, every, you know, causes of downtime are going to be different from different people. Yeah. So very interesting. So I am going to touch some more points on the story because that story is really interesting. And I am, I want to make sure that listeners are still able to follow along. So there are, okay. you know, and my understanding so far, obviously, I don't have as much manufacturing background uh, as you do. So I am trying to relate with it. Okay, here's my plan. I have my cleaning crew that has the hose. They are trying to spray the water. They might be spraying sometimes on the motor as well. Because of the exposure of the water, sometimes you might have challenges on the motor. So what you have done is you have really installed some sort of sensor that is actually trying to communicate with the hose. And that's how you are actually getting the consistency. Am I getting this right? Not getting this right? No. So the the, the condition monitoring sensor okay. is, is not used in the cleaning process. Okay. It monitors the profile during the production, during the during the day shift when they're running and making hot dogs. Yeah. So when they're running and making hot dogs, they realize, hey, my motor is acting a little bit differently than it, it would otherwise. Yeah. It, I, we think it's starting to go bad. So we, we can tell that it's going bad before it fails. So you have okay. installed a sensor yeah. on the on the motor. Now, motor is mm -hmm. not going to behave weird. And then you are going to get consistency in your batches when you are trying to produce this uh, batches on the manufacturing line. But yes. I'm still not sure if I am able to follow along. What is the correlation with the cleaning process uh, of your manufacturing process? Because you seem to be yeah. solving the problem of the manufacturing process. Because the problem here is the motor and not really the cleaning process. What am I missing here? The, the the cleaning process is causing the problems with the motors because in the cleaning process, they're they're hosing down and spraying the motors too closely. Okay, interesting. And as a result, everything's really clean. But then when they start to run production again, that motor behaves a little bit different. So at two in the morning, there's no implications. But the next day, you know, at 8 a.m. when they start to run production, that motor is going to behave a little bit different. Yeah. And that motor slowly is going to start to fail as a result of being penetrated with water. Yeah. So basically here, what you are doing is, you know, I don't know if there is a way to solve the actual problem because the problem is really the cleaning, but we don't yes. really have any control on that because that's a exactly. very manual process. It's going to be highly mm -hmm. unpredictable. So you don't know, um, you know, what you can do there that is going to cause the problem in the motor. And I don't know if it is causing problems in something else as well, because this is a very pressured wash that they are trying to do. And mm -hmm. because of that, the profile of the motor is changing. And because of that, equipment yes. is be behaving yes. differently, yes. right? Yep, Thank absolutely. You so much. Okay, so now I have better understanding of what condition monitoring is, where if you're, uh, you know, let's say if the motor profile is going to change, then, you know, you are going to be alerting, you are going to be taking some action on top of that. Now, how many motors or the assets are we talking about in a plant? And what are different causes that you might be able to see or that you uh, typically come across in different manufacturing plants 
that might cause these process variations and that is actually going to drive your quality that is going to drive your customer experience yeah. and that's not going to be good for your business right so what are the differences that you typically come across and that's a great question so for this customer you know they had multiple packaging lines they had multiple filling lines so yeah. you go through and you, you you fill the hot dog casing up and then you then you got to package them and there's multiple multiple lines and then each line usually has multiple areas that may be potential points of failure. So for most customers, you know, we'll start at one and then it'll kind of grow from there and we'll add to it. So we'll come up with a, some kind of solution that's scalable and expandable. And what I mean there is let's figure out what's causing downtime and let's address that first. Yeah. And then once we fix that, you know, let's go to the next one. It's back to my elephant thing. You know, let's, let's eat this bad boy one bite at a time. Let's find the area that's causing the problem and yep. then go back from there. Um, so everybody's a little bit different. You yep. know, we've done, we've done massive facilities that, you know, have a million square feet. We've done small ones that are operating out of the size of a garage. Yeah. It just, it, it kind of depends. And every process is a little bit different in terms of what needs to be monitored and what's important. Yeah. You know, we have another one, a, a major automotive manufacturer. These guys make engines and yep. this is every bit of a, you know, million, million and a half square foot facility, state yep. of the art across all, by all accounts. Yeah. As, as an ERP guy and, and you, with your systems going in and needing to touch an MES system for OEE, you would love this place. They're passing and moving data and yeah. ways it seems like something out of some futuristic Star Trek movie. In the assembly process, they used a SCADA and an MES system, something called Ignition. Yeah. Um, and, and they had, all, you know, they're passing moving data and they're doing some really cool things. However, they have some machining centers or CNCs okay. yeah. that are cutting big blocks of metal. So they're, yeah, it's what it's going to be what's ultimately making the engine blocks and little parts to go inside the engine. And yeah. so you end up with this, this big machine, you put a big piece of metal in, you have your profile. There's usually hundreds of tools in there, a hundred tools yeah. that, that they'll go in, grab their cutting tool, and then they'll cut, make some cuts on the metal to, you know, machine out whatever they need to, to, you know, end up with an engine eventually. Well, they had a couple of problem cuts that on the surface, it looked like they made a good cut. Yeah. But after it left the, the CNC, then it goes over to the assembly line and, yeah. you know, then they put it together and it goes all the way through to the point where they get to final inspection. And then during final inspection and quality checks, they realized, oh man, we got a problem here. Yeah. Um, and then they had to go back through the rework process. Yeah. So it didn't happen all the time, but it happened a little bit. And the, the thing with CNC equipment is you don't do controls upgrades on them a lot. Um, yeah. You're not going to go out and buy a new asset just because you're, it doesn't have Ethernet controls on it. So these guys had a couple dozen CNC machining centers yeah. that just didn't have Ethernet on them. There wasn't any way to pull advanced metrics from it. So there wasn't any way to really monitor this closely and say, you know, what was going on other than maybe doing a manual check after every single time that they did this. And, yeah. and that was very inconsistent at best. So they had this, this problem where, you know, rework is expensive. They didn't yeah. know a better way. And that's where we kind of were able to come in with this condition monitoring sensor and yeah. program initially just, just the problem cuts. And we, so when the, you know, those problem tools that, that led to those inconsistent cuts. Yeah. You know, we would learn the vibration profile of this on the spindle, which is the part that holds the tool. Yeah. So we look at the vibration profile on that spindle when we had a good cut. Yeah. And then we look at the vibration profile when we had a bunch of bad cuts. Yeah. And we learned that there's a difference between the two. 
So we were able to fix and or catch that problem sooner and save the time of doing a whole bunch of rework. So that's, again, very interesting story. I really enjoyed this. So I understand that, you know, as a financial executive, obviously, I don't want any quality issues. If this is going to go through my rework process, I have a real problem. Nobody wants to see. Yeah. Rework for most people is very, very manual. It's it's not something it, 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 you know, everybody's got money in their budgets for it. But really, the goal is how do we how do we minimize the amount of money that we have to allocate towards rework budgets? Um, and that's really what condition monitoring will help do or help did for this customer. Exactly. So now let's go back and figure out the causes. Uh, you know, so I understand the the issue here. The issue is rework. Nobody wants to see that. I think we have an agreement there. There's no problem at all. <laughs> now, you know, so here, obviously, you had the rework. The main cause was the, you know, changed spindle profiles of the, mm-hmm. uh, the vibration profile. And because of that, you were actually getting the inconsistent cuts. And that was uh, producing the, the rework, which is great. But what was the actual cause? for the vibration profile why was it changing all the time was it because of the operator was it because of the machine was there external factors such as the hose or the pressure in the other story <laughs> the root cause analysis is one of a couple of different ones it, it could be that tool is just a little bit worn okay it could be the the temperature of the coolant coming in when you're doing precision machining the coolant temperature is extremely important. It could be the operator a little bit. There's um, it could be a variation of all of them. Okay. You know, if the, if the coolant's on one side of the spec and the tools are slightly warm, but still good, it, sometimes it's a perfect storm. If, if it was easier to diagnose, they would have been able to fix it ahead of time. So we, you know, we just kind of monitor all of it. We, we monitor the coolant temperature now when it comes into it. We track and log that data with the vibration profile. We're to the point where um, we have the operator badging it on the machine. Yeah. So, which is which is really cool because now we can get operator data and we can overlay it with production data. And now you know who your good operators are. Because yeah. it used to be the production supervisor, when he did his rounds, he'd walk up, you know, once every 45 minutes or an hour and walk up to the machinist and say, hey, how's it going over here? You know, and the person would give him a thumbs up, say, pretty good. <laughs> you know, they look at a couple of parts and then he'd walk away. Well, how do you know what's happening when he's not there? Like, yep. And that then kind of becomes the problem. So now there's nowhere to hide for an operator a little bit. You you, you have the, the, the production data with the operator data. You know who your good operators are. You know that when Susie runs this machine, yeah. Susie has no problem with cuts. Susie, you know, this problem machining thing, she doesn't have any issues with it at all. Susie's a rock star. But yeah. Karen, ooh, when Karen comes in, especially on a Thursday morning, Karen's no good. Um, well, what's specific with Thursday morning? Well, Wednesday night's bingo night and Karen hits the sauce a little hard. You kind of get what I'm saying. We, we, you can get to a point to know who your good operators are and where the problem ones are, maybe the ones that uh, have opportunities for training to get better. Okay, very interesting. So in this particular case, and again, I am trying to make sure that my listeners are able to follow along the story. And in this particular case, uh, you know, the vibration profile, what it is going to do is it's going to provide you the metrics, uh, the insights that you are looking to see to find, okay, what are going to be the inconsistencies in the process? You can overlay other data sets and then you can find mm-hmm. far more trends and you can figure out whether it is going to be really the problem, uh, you know, between the operators or the machine is off yes. or some of the variables, of, you know, that are the factors in driving the state of the machine and that might be throwing the machine off. 
right? So in this particular case, but did you make any discovery after changing the the vibration profile uh, or after uh, you know installing the 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 condition monitoring system, right? So did you mm-hmm. make any discoveries in terms of what was the specific problem in this particular case? What was driving reverb? It was a combination of those three things. So really, we we've implemented the system now. It's been in there for about three months. Yeah. We're collecting lots of data for this customer okay. specifically. They're they're tickled pink. They're so excited that they're able to catch a bad cut okay. uh, immediately after it's made, and that's okay. the that's the big thing. The what's causing that bad cut? We're, we're needing to collect more data, okay, and really spend better time evaluating that. So, you know, really the uh, kind of what I say is, you, you data is good for most cu- most of our customers here. Yeah. Data is both the hero and the villain. To yep. their industry 4.0 or to their problems. You can get massive amounts of data and just be overwhelmed with it. Yep. Data by itself means nothing. You have to figure out how to use it and turn it into information. So for this customer, we want to be able to get the coolant, the operator data, the vibration yep. data, and then collect massive amounts of it and then go in and figure out how to process it and, and figure out the statistical data to say, how, how do these things impact each other to that ultimately lead to a bad cut? Yeah, and I completely agree with you. And sometimes you are not going to have all the answers in the process, even right. if you try to find that, even if you are going to have all the data, uh, you, the data may not be conclusive enough to be able to find, okay, where the problem is. So even if you are able to do, in this particular case, what you are doing is the reverb process, if it gets late in the process, then you have to go through the whole cycle, then you have to bring it back. Yeah. Then, you know, that has to go through the entire process. And obviously that's going to be very expensive, but now, you are able to figure this out, out earlier, even though you are not solving the core problem. Solving the core problem may be, may be more expensive. Who knows? Maybe, you know, the, yeah. the real problem is the machine itself. Maybe that, co- you know, costs $5 million. Who knows? Uh, and sometimes you don't want to solve that. <laughs> Absolutely. Figure, figuring out what the core problem is is going to be a deeper, harder dive. Um, just being able to catch it so it doesn't go through the rework process is the big benefit for the customer here. Okay, completely agree. And I love the story, by the way. Do you have any other stories that you might be able to, uh, you know, provide here? Uh, and I am definitely enjoying your stories. You know, we had a, another customer down the road from these guys that, that supplied little seatbelt brackets yeah. for automotive assembly. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't sound like anything that's sexy or fun, but it's a little little machined metal part that, that you get raw material goes in as big rolls of steel. Yeah, and then goes through these giant stamping presses that slam down, and you know ultimately end up with these little parts. Yeah, that some get machined, some get, and then you have other uh, processes that, that form it into this little seatbelt bracket. Yeah, yeah. You walk in, there's coolant in the air. It's a it's a dirty facility. It's not yeah. nowhere sexy, right? It's it's the 180 degrees opposite of my hot dog story earlier. Yeah, and so you walk in, and and you just hear this chunk, chunk. Yep. chunk noise of this, these big presses just slamming down. Yeah. Well, some of these presses have big motors in them. Yeah. And when these motors fail, a lot of times our, our, th- this customer had zero visibility into that the motor is going to go bad. Okay. So typically what customers like this do is they'll schedule rebuilds. You know, okay. they know that on average, they're going to get say two years out of this press before the motor needs to get rebuilt. Yeah. They'll um, they'll schedule they'll schedule it out less than two years, yeah. So that they don't have to worry about unexpected breakdown. However, those things still happen occasionally. Yeah. So say if a, something fails way prematurely, for this customer, they might have to take take this motor if they're mid production and they have a, a a press go down and they don't have another press that's the same size and have the same 
characteristics. Yeah. You know, and they only have one of these things because having a big giant press is a big capital investment. It's expensive. And, yeah. you know, having redundant presses for backups doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's services out there for emergency rebuilds on these things when these happen. And these emergency rebuilds can be very expensive. They vary in cost a lot. For this customer, an emergency rebuild was about $35,000. It yeah. was, that was the cost to, to get a truck over there put the motor on the truck, take the truck to a facility to rebuild the motor, bring the motor back. Yeah. Plus the cost of downtime. And these guys supply automotive. A lot of automotive is just in time. Yeah. So that, meaning that a lot of times the, the, the stuff that they're making for that day, when it ships to the customer, it's pretty much going right into the assembly process. So there's not a big backlog. You can't go three weeks without making a part. It's, it's, you know, very much hand to mouth. Yeah. So we learned that, if we put a vibration sensor yeah on this on this uh press yeah you know we learn what the you know what a good kachunk kachunk looks like whenever yeah. the the motor's operating correctly yeah and then we we can tell when a bearing's starting to slip and starting to go bad because that vibration profile slowly changes yeah and and then we can get to a point now where the customer says oh man i see it's starting to slip yeah hey we've got time next thursday afternoon I can schedule a rebuild and by, by scheduling it, now there's no downtime. That rebuild goes from $35,000 to about $6,000 because yeah. it's, it's, it's able to be done in a timely manner and it's not a fire drill. And as a result, you know, it, it, it saves the customer. It, it just, uh, so we, we do a lot of those, but for this specific customer, I mean, the ROI was almost immediate. It was a no brainer. That's great. And I, again, love the story. So the one question that I am going to have, and I am pretty sure my listeners are going to have as well, when you look at the the vibration profile and, you know, overarching theme, when I look at all of your stories, mm -hmm. uh, seem to be that, okay, you know, if you can monitor your vibration profile, you can solve a lot of different problems. But what is the technical accuracy of monitoring these vibration profiles? For example, in the last story that you mentioned that, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned, you know what, you need to figure out, okay, what a good process and mm -hmm. what not so good process. And you mm -hmm. are measuring that based on the vibration profile. And now, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how accurate the sensors are in measuring the vibration profile and how they work. Can you describe a little bit yeah. more about that? Sure. So typically we're getting three axes of vibration. Okay. And then it, it kind of combines those to get a profile. So your, your X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then really it, it kind of depends on which sensor we're looking at. You know, I mentioned earlier, NEF being an automation distributor. Yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of different tools in our tool belt. Uh, yeah. We, we have, we have some, some real rough ones that, yeah. that may be, you know, inexpensive and not very accurate. And then we yeah. have some really, really nice ones that are extremely precise, um, you know, and, and, and can, we'll, we'll be able to sense if you breathe on them wrong. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's varying different levels of accuracy. And a lot of it depends upon the specific application. For these that we're talking about, we don't, uh, just a general vibration sensor for a couple hundred bucks yeah. takes care of everything that we need. So for for these, you know that 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 sensor is relatively inexpensive, and then usually there's there's a little small enclosure or box that will bolt on with it. All in cost on doing something like this, it kind of depends on the size and scope. But you know, for less than a thousand bucks, we can get started, and then you know we we could do them as up to two to five grand, something like that on a yeah. on a large press like that. Costs are kind of all over the board on something like this. They you, every application is different. Yeah. So, you know, we can, 
we can get started for a little bit and then and then grow it into a larger a larger system. Yeah, completely agree. So thank you so much for all of this. That's it for today. Do you have any any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? At NAF, we've got a 14 state footprint. Condition monitoring isn't that scary. It, for a lot of customers, it's new. But remember, it's just a, a single part of a complex strategy. And, and that three bucket approach that I mentioned earlier, each each bucket requires consideration. And reach out to NAF and our team of automation experts. This is what we do. We like working consultatively and uh, really working alongside understanding your challenges, problems, and goals. And then as a result, helping you kind of get to where you want to go. All right, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that you might not be able to solve every single problem in the world. Sometimes that may not be financially reasonable to be able to solve those problems. Right. But unless you know where the problem is and what workarounds you might be able to take, you would not uh, be able to do anything with the problem and that could be very expensive. So make sure you are at least putting efforts to be able to monitor and figure out what the approaches you might be able to take. On that note, Dave, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Thank you, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave or NAF, head over to nafautomation.com. It's N-E-F-F-A-U-T-O-M-A-T-I-O-N.com. NAF works consultatively with you to enhance your company's competitiveness. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Ira Sharp, who shares his insights on open automation and why that is important for manufacturers to understand as they increase the Industry 4.0 maturity of their companies. Also, the interview with Frank Lamb, who shares his insights on the process of building control systems required to increase the capacity of custom machinery. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.